Hi, and welcome to the Part 3 with me podcast. The show that helps Part 3 students jumpstart into their careers as qualified architects and also to provide refresher episodes for practicing architects. I am your host, Maria Scudari. And this week, we will be talking about Novation versus Consultant Switch. Today's episode covers PC2 and PC3 of the Part 3 criteria. Now, let's start what uh, Novation is. So, Novation means new, a new contract on the same terms, um, normally, as the previous contract, and is a three-way agreement between the original client, the prospective client, and the architect. So under such an agreement, the architect's appointment is transferred from the original client to the new client so that after innovation occurs, the architect carries out their duties for the benefit of the new client and the new client takes on the payments to the architect. The most common scenario for innovation is where the contractor is wholly or largely responsible for both the design and the construction, most commonly found under a design and build contract. And in this scenario, what tends to occur is that the client engages consultants early to develop a design for the project on the basis that the design and build contractor will be able to produce a more accurate tender price for the works than if the design hadn't been sufficiently developed. So the contractor accepts all the obligation and liabilities that were in place uh, with the original client's appointment and the architect's uh, prior and future obligations and liabilities are now owed to the contractor. So there are two types of innovation. The first one is basic switch of client from the client to the contractor. And the second one is innovation known as ab initio, whereby the new client is deemed to have been the architect's client from the outset. So the RIBA's position uh, with ab initio is that they recommend for this type to be avoided and the RIBA recommends that you seek legal advice before entering into any innovation agreement. So you would typically use uh, and the form that is recommended by the RIBA is the CIC innovation agreement published by the Construction Industry Council and is recommended for the switch type novation agreement and is the standard novation form recommended by the RIBA. So the reason why ab initio is to be avoided is because its legal wording has raised concerns with the architect's obligations and position as it states that the expectation that the architect has uh, at one stage was advising the client about tenderers for the building contract and then they would be acting for the contractor when the architect was giving the advice. So if they were considered as being under the appointment with the contractor from the outset, then this would cause a conflict of interest, and therefore this process in general just doesn't make sense. And it puts the architect in an extremely difficult position. So that's why the RIBA recommends to use the basic um, client switch type uh, in the first place. So what are the benefits of Novation and why do clients and contractors tend to prefer it? So clients tend to prefer Novation for the design consultants they have initially engaged for the design stages in order to ensure a degree of continuity in the design effort and because Novation offers a single point of responsibility. Now when it comes to the contractor, they tend to be reluctant to accept their role 
as the single point of responsibility to the client without the protection that is provided by being uh, the direct client of the consultants who have produced their design. That's when ovation is preferred as it provides the opportunity to the contractor to take over the appointments of the consultants from the clients. So there's no um, implications with the changeover. So this process commonly takes place at uh, or around RIBA stage four after planning has been granted and at the time the building contract is executed. So the benefits of novation include that the rights and obligations of the original parties are transferred with the original client's involvement ending and the contractor taking over the contractual right to sue as well as pay the consultant's fees uh, as if they were their client uh, from the beginning. So what are the risks under novation? So the key areas of risk under novation is that the architect must be confident in the financial strength of the incoming client. The terms of the novation must be very clear and the architect should be wary of accepting an ongoing role uh, performing services for the original client after novation. So these are the heads up um, items when it comes to novations from the architect's perspective. So when it comes to novation and the architect's appointment, uh, as mentioned uh, just now, it is a bit risky as there can be an expectation for the architect in addition to carry out their services for the new client, the architect will also be expected to carry out post-novation services for the original client. The key thing for the architect is to make sure their fees will continue to be paid and that their liability will not be extended due to the novation. So the risks for the architect can be reduced if the architect knows what the terms of their novation will be and what the terms of an ongoing agreement for services to the client will be. So if there is any doubt that the party to whom the architect will be novated to isn't financially stable, then the architect shouldn't go through with an ovation. So they should uh, ensure that provision is made to make sure that all fees are paid, either by the novation stating that it can only take place if all the fees due to date have been paid, or that the party to whom the contract is being novated uh, accepts written responsibility for paying all the architect's fees that are outstanding at the date of the novation. So if for any reason the architect is given no option but to accept strict obligation to enter into a deed of novation on the client's request, the architect could still refuse to comply with the request um, in breach of contract when it's made because if they do enter into the agreement and the documentation for the novation isn't clear, the architect may end up working without a clear contract with either party. So this is definitely a very high risk route and shouldn't be considered lightly unless the risk of carrying out services that won't be paid for exceeds the risk of being sued for breaching the obligation to enter into the novation. So it should be considered very carefully. So the best way to avoid such a situation is for the architect to resist the inclusion of an ovation obligation in the professional appointment in the first place. Now, when it comes to the architect's services themselves, the architect should ensure and agree any changes with the contractor, now the new client, uh, that there, whatever changes there are to the brief, any changes in the architect's role and responsibilities, and agree any additional fees 
before both of them committing to the novation agreement. Now, what happens if the architect is to carry out post-novation services for the original client? So it is quite common for the original client to expect the architect to continue performing services for them after novation to the contractor. An example of um, services like that could be uh, the architect monitoring the construction phase and reporting on progress. So this is not necessarily an unreasonable request since the architect has all the knowledge of the project from the outset, but it is still considered as bad practice um, to do so. So if an architect does end up accepting such an agreement, they should be aware of the conflicts of interest likely to arise and as such, the wording in the novation agreement should allow for it to suit. So the way in which clients tend to keep the architect performing services for them post-novation can be either through the use of a collateral warranty with the architect, since in essence the original client becomes a third party after novation, and they give up their rights to sue for breach of the professional appointment. Another way the client may keep the architect's appointment is by including an obligation to provide further services in the novation deed itself or within the schedule of services in the professional appointment. Or the other way is the client may propose a supplemental services agreement separate from the novation and the collateral warranties. So a key thing to highlight here is that if the client does insist on one of these processes to go ahead, um, with the architect having ongoing obligations to the original client, um, this may call into question the general effectiveness of the novation as a whole. So what's the point of being novated if you're still working for the original client? So say this process does go ahead and the architect does have an obligation to continue performing services for the original client after novation. To limit the amount of risk and conflict of interest, the architect should have uh, different individuals working for the two clients and the novation deed should express the obligation to keep their work separate. But if the client feels this can't be done, they shouldn't enter into an obligation like this, no matter the pressure imposed, and it does go against their professional code of conduct to do so. So a possible solution to relieve the architect of such pressure is to allow for a clause within the novation agreement outlining the possibility of post-novation services to the original client under a supplemental agreement which also considers the existence and resolution of conflicts of interest. So if conflict does arise at any time, the architect should notify the client and the contractor straight away and then this could be resolved through the procedures set out in the um, novation agreement. So what does a novation deed typically consist of? So a deed of novation should aim to be short and uncomplicated and should make reference to the architect's ongoing services to the client if applicable and set out um, a separate agreement as already mentioned. So under the terms of the novation, the architect and the original client should release and discharge any and all obligations and liabilities owed under the appointment and to avoid any misunderstandings it's best practice to list in the deed the pre-novation services performed by the architect to the original client that were previously not performed 
for the contractor, so making that clear, and to exclude such services from the scope of the novation. And for the avoidance of doubt, there should be an inclusion within the deed, removing uh, any implied term that the architect was always acting for the behalf of the contractor from the outset, um, making it clear that uh, it won't be an ab initio type of novation agreement. So that covers novation. Now let's look at what consultant switch is. So under consultant switch, the original appointment with the client is brought to an end and a new appointment is entered into between the architect and the contractor. So a supplementary agreement will then be required between all three parties to permit this change uh, from going ahead. So under consultant switch, the architect normally remains liable to the, to the original client for any breach of duty under the earlier appointment, but won't be liable to the client for any default uh, in services performed for the contractor. And similarly with Novation, the architect should make sure to review all their services, obligations, fees, uh, responsibilities and so on when it comes to the new appointment in order to protect themselves and to make sure they run their appointment through with their PI insurers that they accept uh, this agreement. So in essence, the difference between the two methods is that consultant switch is when the architect enters into two separate contracts, the first with the client and the second with the contractor, and each will cover the services applicable to each appointment respectively. And novation is when the contract between the employer and the architect is replaced by a contract on identical terms between the contractor and the architect instead. So to sum up what I discussed today, Novation is the legal mechanism enabling one of the parties to a contract to transfer both the benefit and the burden of the contract to an incoming party. Novation often occurs in the context of a design and build contract where a client wishes to transfer the rights and obligations under their appointments with the design team to an incoming contractor. There are two types of novation uh, agreements, a basic switch of employer from the client to the contractor. And the second is novation ab initio, whereby the client is deemed to have been the architect's client from the outset. And note here that the ab initio process should be avoided as it causes issues uh, and complexities to the architect. Then ensure the terms of the novation have been agreed and all parties have signed the novation agreement. The architect should be wary of the conflicts of interest uh, situations arising, for example, uh, when they're retaining some duties and responsibilities for the original client. The deed of novation should aim to be short and uncomplicated and make reference to the architect's ongoing services to the client if applicable and set these out uh, under a separate agreement. And consultant switch is when the architect enters into two separate contracts, one with the client and another with the contractor, and each uh, cover their relevant services to each appointment. So I don't have a scenario today, but I wanted to read you some case law uh, that occurred when it comes to innovation, just so that you understand the complexities uh, and what are the do's and don'ts when it comes to innovation. So this is a case between uh, Blythe and Blythe versus Carillion, and this happened in 2001, 
whereby the consulting engineers, Blythe and Blythe, entered into a tripartite agreement referred to as the Novation Agreement with Carilion Construction and THI Leisure in relation to the design and construction of uh, a leisure development building in Edinburgh. So there was a deed of appointment between THI and Blythe, uh, which empowers THI to instruct Blythe to enter into the Novation Agreement. And THI and Carillion had entered into a design and build contract. So Blythe brought an action against Carillion to claim payment and fees. And Carillion counterclaimed in respect of uh, alleged breaches of contract by Blythe. So this raised uh, issues about the meaning and the effect of the Novation Agreement in particular in relation to the alleged breaches occurring before the novation. So one example being that as a result of the engineer's inaccurate information regarding reinforcement bars, which was included in the employee's requirements, the contractor ended up suffering losses when it eventually had to supply uh, far more bars than it had anticipated. So under the terms of the contract, the contractor accepted the risk of inaccuracies in the requirements and therefore couldn't claim these losses from the client. So the contractor uh, tried to seek um, and claim uh, from the engineers, but the courts uh, decided that the engineer wasn't liable uh, to the contractor for losses due to the breach of its duty uh, because um, that occurrence happened before the novation and it was to their original client before they were novated. So Karelian had no grounds in claiming um, because uh, Blythe didn't work for them at the time. So that's just um, a snapshot of um, some case study uh, that occurred back in 2001. Just to give you a snapshot of what can occur when it comes to innovation between the different parties and how important it is to remember who and when they're liable to which party and for what. So that's very key with Novation. And that concludes today's episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, please feel free to email me on the address provided in the show notes. Thank you for listening. This is an educational show aimed at supporting the future generation of architects. The information, opinions and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk. Please join me next week for some more part three with me time.